0: I am, as we get started, I'm thinking about some prominent figures in history. And I'm wondering if we might be able to look at them and their life's work and summarize it in a word. Now that's easier for some folks than it is others. But I'm thinking about Martin Luther King Jr. Would we be able to summarize all of his speeches and maybe his writings too in a word? And if so, what would that word be? To capture his life's work. Maybe the word is justice. Maybe it's freedom. Or maybe it's the word dream. What about the writings of C.S. Lewis? The English uh, apologist, Christian. How would we summarize all of his writings? His thinking. Distilled in a word. What word would it be? Maybe the word faith. Because in his writings, he encourages us to hold on to the faith and offers evidence for the Christian faith. This is a little more lighthearted, but what about the humor of Rodney Dangerfield? Anybody remember him? Some people might not. I know the word that would capture old Rodney Dangerfield's humor in his various stand-up routines. It's the word respect. I can't get no respect. That's as, that's as much a Rodney Dangerfield impression For me, as you're going to get this morning. Can't get no respect. How about the music of John Lennon? How might we capture his music in a word? Maybe the word love uh, or peace. As I said earlier, some folks are easier to summarize and their life's work is easier to summarize in a word than others. When the Gospels summarize the preaching of Jesus, his message that he offered as he traveled from place to place during his earthly ministry, there's one word that consistently pops up. And it's our one word for today. The word we're talking about, the word we're going to be reading about this next week. Now, undoubtedly, Jesus said a lot in his earthly ministry. And Jesus, I'm not comparing him to the human figures that I listed before. Jesus, the Son of the Almighty, God fleshed, And we know from John, the gospel writer, that Jesus did many things that are not recorded in the Gospels. And John says, if one were to write down all of the miracles that he performed, it would fill so many books that the earth would not even be able to hold them. And we would extend that to his teachings as well, I would think, because everywhere that Jesus went and performed a miracle, he also spoke to people and he preached. And so all the things that Jesus said, most of which the, the, the largest percentage of which are lost to history, and we just have a very small portion of what Jesus said. We have what we need, but it's, it's small, nonetheless, recorded in the Scriptures. And yet, when the Gospel writers distill His message, when they boil it down, there's one word that keeps popping up. There's one word that they insist on using, and it's the word, repent. Repent. We see in the Gospel of Matthew, when Jesus begins His ministry... After his temptation in the wilderness, Matthew chapter 4, verse 17, the gospel tells us from that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, you think that's the only thing that he said when he preached? Well, we know it's not from other sermons, but that's the way that Matthew sums it all up, that that is the essence of his preaching, of his teaching. Repent, the kingdom of heaven is drawing near. And we get a similar message from the Gospel writer Mark. Mark chapter 1, verse 15. He records Jesus as saying, The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. So repent and believe in the Gospel. Believe in the good news that I have come to redeem all of humanity. Repent. That's the word that the Gospel writers use to summarize the preaching of Jesus. But what does it mean? Well, the word repent literally means in the original language, it means to change your mind, to change your mind, to repent means to alter. And really, that's too weak a word to transform your thinking, which in turn transforms your words and your actions. But it's here that we begin, because from here flows everything that we do and everything that we say. It involves, and this is an image that we use a lot when we talk about repenting, it involves turning, turning from one way of thinking, from the old sinful way of thinking to another, to the new way of thinking. And you know, the call to repent extends beyond Jesus' brief ministry. Most most accounts that we read say that Jesus' ministry was about three years, not a lot of time. But the call to repent appears before and after. When John the Baptist comes on the scene, Matthew chapter 3, verse 2, his message is summarized as a message of, of repentance, calling people to turn, to allow their thinking to be transformed. Repent, he preached, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, similar to what Jesus said. And then in Mark chapter 1, verse 4, we read that John appeared, and he was baptizing in the wilderness. He was calling people out into the wilderness proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And then we see this idea, it comes after the ministry of Jesus as well. In fact, as Jesus is wrapping up his ministry, he tells his disciples that you need to go and repentance and forgiveness of sins ought to be proclaimed in my name to all the nations. So go out and preach the message of repentance and that forgiveness of sins can be yours if you turn, if you change your thinking. And then famously in Acts chapter 2, verse 38, on the day of Pentecost, after Peter preached that powerful sermon, the people who were listening said, what should we do? And Peter, without skipping a beat, says, you need to repent. There it is again. And you need to be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus, for the forgiveness of your sins. So repent. A big idea. In the New Testament not just in the ministry of Jesus. And what all of this makes clear is that to receive salvation through Christ, we must repent. We must turn. We must allow our thinking to be transformed. We must determine to change the way we think. We must be resolute. We must make a decision to be different so as to change the way that we live, because the way that we think affects the way that we live. When you know better, you do better. And God knows when our thinking chain changes, our actions and our lifestyle will change as well. So repentance is a big part of taking on the salvation that is offered us freely through Jesus Christ. We must determine to change. And the question for some of us is, have we? Have we stood up? and said, as the songwriter says, I have decided to follow Jesus, and there's no turning back. Have we been resolute about it? Have we determined to follow after Jesus with all that we are? Maybe some of us have just made a half-hearted decision to follow Jesus. Yeah, I'm going to come to church every once in a while, and yeah, I'm going to talk to my kids occasionally about Jesus, and yeah, I'll pray with them at bedtime. But we haven't made a firm decision to put away our old life and to follow Jesus wholeheartedly. That's the call of repentance. We make a complete 180. We say, I want my brain to be rewired and completely transformed to think in the way that Jesus thinks, to be compelled by the will of God and not by my sinful desires. Have you stood up and said, I have decided to follow Jesus? Are you determined, are you resolute to follow after Him with everything that you are? And this morning, I want us to dig a little deeper into repentance. And I want to ask this question. Why is it necessary? Why is repentance a component of receiving salvation? Why is it part of the proper response to to getting this gift that God so freely gives? Well, it's because, and I'm going to say this fairly crudely, But I think maybe it'll be more memorable since it's not grammatically correct. But here it is. Our brains are broke. Our brains are broke. Our heads are not screwed on properly. We have been distorted. Our minds have been twisted with sinful patterns of thinking. And they have to be completely reconfigured in order to follow Jesus. Instead of thinking of people as beloved creations of God made in His image, that's how we ought to think about other people, all people, not just people in our circle or in our country, but all over the world. But instead of thinking of them as fellow image bearers of God, we think of them as objects to be used for our selfish purposes, as means of achieving success or satisfying our lust. That's not how we ought to view people, but that's how we think of people. In the old way of thinking, instead of desiring to worship God Almighty and God alone, we idolize everything but God. Our money, our wealth, our stuff. We idolize our safety and our security. We even idolize our families, our children. We put them on a higher pedestal. We think that making them happy is what life's all about. Folks, that's an idol That is worshiping something other than God. And and that is another example of how our brains have to be reconfigured, rewired. Instead of knowing that we are lost and that we are incapable of saving ourselves apart from Jesus. Here's what we think. We think that if we're generally good people, that if we follow the laws of the land and we're nice and we're polite, that that's good enough to get us into eternity with God. When in reality, there is nothing that we can do on our own to merit God's grace and his favor. But that's the way that we think. And that's yet another example of how our minds have to be fixed and altered and renovated in order to follow Jesus. And this is the idea of repenting, turning from those old ways of thinking and embracing a new way of thinking. Our minds, they have to be transformed in order to embrace the gospel. But something else about this idea of repentance that's important is that the fact that we are taught to repent communicates to us that we have the ability to repent. And think about this with me for a minute. God thinks so highly of us that he has endowed us with the power to decide whether or not we want to embrace a new way of thinking. Now, isn't that amazing? We can decide if we want to think in the old ways or think in the new ways. And with God's help, we can. Our minds can be transformed. So the call to repentance proves that we are able with God's help, but also with some of our own effort and willpower to change the way that we think and therefore change the way that we live. Let me ask you a question. Should we expect full transformation in a single decision? Should we expect to be fully changed up here by simply saying, even confidently, genuinely saying, I repent? Now listen, that initial decision, it's important, it's vital. And I believe it to be a a proper response in order to receive salvation. But to truly repent, that initial decision has to be followed up with a daily commitment, a daily turning, a daily decision to embrace the new way of thinking and get rid of the old. Legendary basketball coach Don Meyer, who coached for many years at Lipscomb, he used to say this, and this is in your devotional book this upcoming week, practice doesn't make perfect, it makes permanent It makes permanent. And we as sinful creatures have deeply ingrained ways of thinking that are unhealthy and ungodly, and they're in there because of years of practice. Because of years of thinking in this way. And that kind of stuff can't be be undone overnight. Can't be undone in one Decision And so repentance is not only to stand up resolutely and to say, I am changing, I am turning, I am embracing a new way of thinking. Repentance is also the daily embrace of new patterns of thought and practicing those patterns until they become permanent over and over and over again, deciding each morning that I'm going to think differently today. This is from Wes McAdams. I think this is a very helpful exercise. He says, Do you have thoughts that take you where you don't want to go? Do you? I do. Here's what he says maybe they're thoughts of self doubt, pride, lust. When the first hint of those thoughts pops into your head, it's like a train conductor yelling, All aboard? You know that train of thought is going to take you down a destructive path, but you have a habit of getting on the train anyway. Why do we do that? Why do we do what we don't want to do? And we don't do what we ought to do. That's the dilemma that Paul faced famously. We have a habit of getting on the train, even though we know it's heading in an unhealthy, destructive, uh, it's on a destructive path. But from now on, when the conductor says, all aboard, just say, no Thanks. I'm not getting on. I know where that train of thought is headed. He says, try it out today. It's amazingly simple and amazingly effective. When your train of thought is about to go in an unhealthy direction, just declare, maybe even out loud, I am not getting on that train. Not today. The Scriptures speak to this process of repentance, to this daily process of brain transformation. Two passages that I think speak to repentance, but they don't use the word, are Romans chapter 12 and verse 2, where Paul says, don't be conformed to this world. Don't go back to the old ways of thinking, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, by the constant, daily, regular renewal of your mind. Repentance is not just a one-time decision. It is a decision that is made every day to turn. Away from old ways of thinking. And then Philippians chapter 2, verse 5. Paul, have this mind among yourselves which is yours in Christ Jesus. Take on the mind of Christ daily. Practice repentance in your daily life. Now, the fact that repentance is a lifelong journey, that yes, we stand up and we say, I am changing, but that one time decision compels us to embrace the process of repentance daily the fact that it happens gradually along the way well i don't know about you but that gives me a lot of hope that gives me some encouragement because sometimes i think to myself i just can't seem to get rid of these old patterns of thought they just keep reemerging in my head and i've decided to follow jesus And God knows my heart. God knows that I want to please Him more than anything else. But those old ways of thinking, those old thoughts of selfishness and pride and lust, they just—they seem to keep bubbling up to the surface. And I don't want them to. Well, the fact that this repentance thing is a process, boy, that's really encouraging to me. Now, it's not a cop-out. It's not an excuse to carry on in the same behaviors and thinking. That we used to. But it is encouraging to be able to chart our progress. To say, yeah, I'm not where I want to be, but I am not where I started either. That I can look back and I can see how I've grown, even though I'm not quite satisfied and content. I've still got a long ways to go. Often when we try to make big changes in our lives, and you know this from setting resolutions at the beginning at the beginning of each year. We take the just do it approach and we try to change everything all at once. And we get off to a good start. We're highly motivated. We're pumped up, but then we falter because it's just too much at one time. The big change for Christians is this. It's true repentance. It's doing works in keeping with repentance as John the Baptist and Paul talk about in the Gospel of Luke and the Book of Acts. True repentance means doing things that are in keeping with our original decision to change and to be different. And like all other big changes, this one must be made with small steps along the way. I've been doing a little reading about this this week. We need to start with what one behavioral scientist calls a tiny habit. This is how we arrive at true repentance. One small thought or behavior that needs to change in order to reach the final goal. Now, every habit has three components. There's the behavior, what you want to do, a cue, when that is done, and a reward, why it is done. The tiny habit should be so small that it feels trivial, that it feels too easy, but that ensures that you'll be able to do it. And it may be something like this. When I find myself passing unfair judgment on somebody, which we all struggle with, now that's the cue. When I begin to have unfair judgmental thoughts about somebody else, I will instead be gracious to them, and I will give them the benefit of the doubt. That's the habit. So the cue is, my train of thought is heading in the wrong direction. The behavior, the new behavior is, I'm instead going to be gracious to that person instead of passing judgment. What about this? When I begin to question my own self-worth, when I begin to beat myself up, when I begin to think less of myself than I should, that's the cue. And the new behavior is this. I will remember that God considers me worth dying for. Yes, I'm a sinner, but God loved me so much that He sent His Son to die on the cross. For my sins. That's the new thought, the new behavior. How about this? When I start to get preoccupied with money, with making more of it, with spending more of it on more stuff, when I find myself heading in that direction, I will instead turn my attention to dependence and reliance on God and God alone. That's the new behavior. And the reward for each of these is acknowledging that I'm making progress, I can celebrate a small victory. I can say, you know what? A year, five years ago, ten years ago, my mind would have traveled way far down that path into a destructive place, but now I can see that I'm progressing. I can see that I'm slowly turning around. And whereas I used to would head down that, those tracks in that unhealthy way, now I can recognize that it's an unhealthy path and I can turn it around in my head with the help of God. I can embrace a new thought pattern. I can form a new habit. So we start changing this thought, doing that behavior consistently until it becomes routine. And then when we're ready, we add another thought or another behavior from the big change until it is routine and another and another and another. And before we know it, we are well on our way to the big change, which is true repentance, which is complete mind transformation. Now, this approach, it requires a lot of patience and daily effort and reliance on God for help but it works surprisingly well. Here's a quote that I love from N.T. Wright. And he talks about virtue. But I'm going to replace the word virtue with repentance. I think it's a fair trade. Here's what he says. Repentance is what happens when someone has made a thousand small choices requiring effort and concentration to do something which is good and right, but which doesn't come naturally. And then, on the thousand and first time when it really matters, they find that they do what's required automatically. Repentance is what happens when wise and courageous choices become second nature. This morning, I don't know what it is that you need or that you need to do. Some of you need. To make a clean break with the past. You need to stand up and say, I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. I'm resolute. I'm determined. I repent. I want to transform the way that I think. I want my thoughts to be shaped by God's will and not by sinful desires. But maybe there are others this morning... And maybe that was you once upon a time. You stood up and you said, "I'm going to follow Jesus no matter what no matter what. I repent." But that decision doesn't really reflect your life currently. And you are not practicing this daily repentance that we talked about. And maybe you need to come and recommit, rededicate Your life to the Lord, before this audience today, before these family members today, these brothers and sisters. Maybe you need their their prayers. Maybe some of you need to embrace anew this lifestyle of repentance. If I just described you, don't be scared, don't be shy. It's too important, this idea. This word that the gospel writers use to sum up the message Jesus is much too important to just skip it over and walk out those doors unchanged. So if you need to come and ask for prayers or if you need to become a child of God today, we invite you to do that as we stand and sing.